Welcome to the K2 Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Kelly. Every week, I'll be sitting down with a sales executive where they'll share their stories and experiences that produce game-changing results. Let's be honest, sales can be a tough game. I'm sure at some point, we've all delivered a less than stellar demo, been ghosted by a client or two, and sometimes maybe we did more talking than listening. And that's where I can help. The stories and insights our guests share can be applied to your own business, your territory, or with your team, so you're not reinventing the wheel. Our weekly tactics and strategies help you get out of your head and start creating your own path towards game-changing results. Welcome back to the K2 Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Kelly. For those new, welcome. And for those returning, welcome back. Uh, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to my friend and my fellow women sales pro, Christy Jones, who's the founder of Sales Acceleration Group. She's the author of Selling Your Way In, which will be released in a few months. And she's a speaker. And we talked about how to successfully hire sales, a sales rep. And this could be, we talked about BDR, SDR, as well as an AE. And Christy does this as part of her offerings, but she has extensive experience, especially in the startup space of just, you know, that interview process, what to look for, how should we be screening from both sides, both the interviewer and the interviewee, how can they prepare? The bar is, you know, very low right now to stand out. And, and she's, I also, I'm not seeing the caliber or the level of professionalism and and desire and grit to get those jobs that that you know we should be seeing. So she talks about, you know, the onboarding process, what we should be including, the training, how to de-risk it, and, and really just, you know, what what to spot. I mean, when we hire, it's always a risk, right? You can do your due diligence, but what what should we be looking for to ensure that we are making um, the best the best decision for not only the short term, but for the long term looking at someone who is going to grow with the business, um, but also, you know, as a founder or a small business owner, like what is the, what is your goal here? And if your goal is to sell the business, if your goal is to um, grow and scale, you know, that plays into the type of role you're looking for. And I think this is often missed. So she walks us through um, a lot of great tactics that startups, founders, and small businesses can really apply and save themselves some money and, you know, a a bad hire, but also preserve the culture uh, of their existing teams to add to it and not uh, erode it through a bad hire. So I encourage you to take a listen. If you apply any of, of the suggestions she makes, let us know. We love to know. We love to know that, you know, our podcast is making a difference. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did and uh, let us know what you think enjoy. Okay. So welcome to the podcast, Christy Jones, founder of Sales Acceleration Group. Karen, nice to see you. Great to see you again. And today I I brought an expert on here because a lot of the the podcasts we've talked about, you know, sales, sales leadership, uh, discovery demo, everything sales, but we really have never uncovered or discussed the journey to get into sales. And so for those BDRs and AEs who are, you know, out there looking for a role. The goal today, speaking with Christy, is to really give you that roadmap as to how you can, you know, prepare to land a a fabulous job. So Christy, why don't you first tell us a little bit of background about what got you, I guess, keen into sales and and really what's allowed you to to be that top 1% in what you do today, because you definitely are. Great. Thanks, Karen. My parents owned a real estate company. My mom was a top producer, 100% commission sales rep. So um, she was actually the very first female sales rep that made an impression on me. My dad was the owner broker. And so I grew up in a sales world. Um, I affectionately say that I got my MBA at the kitchen table mm-hmm. because the nightly conversations between my parents, who ironically did ne- never saw each other during the day, even though they worked um, together and in the same office, Uh, So we debriefed at home over dinner every night. And that's where I learned about what being 100% commission rep was all about. I knew about quarterly taxes before I was paying quarterly taxes or any taxes. Um, So I say that sales is in my blood. Um, I have a sibling as well. My younger brother is an individual contributor and he is a rock star. And I took the sales leadership path that my dad had sort of blazed the trail for me on. So sales has always been in my blood. Um, And every job I've had really growing up through now has involved some form of sales. So 
whether that be I waited tables in high school, I still say today, this was my favorite sales job because mm-hmm. it's the only sales job I've ever had. And it's one of the very few where you get instant feedback in the form of tips on the yes. table. Um, so I loved everything about that. And then I got into retail sales. So I spent my first eight years out of college in retail sales as a buyer for Macy's. And now, um, and then I got into SaaS sales, sales, sales leadership and loved everything about that. So everything I have done has been, um, is added onto the journey that I'm currently on. That's fantastic. And I love just in those, you know, child, uh, young adolescent years that you were immersed in it. And I think, you know, if someone were to sit you down at a young age and say, Chrissy, this is what we do. It might not have had the impact just being surrounded by it. And that was the organic conversation that was at the dinner table. Like you took it all on board because that's, that was life for you. Right. We didn't know it. We didn't know any different. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it served you well. It has. Yes, I'm grateful. And I can and I can agree, agree with the waitress because I spent my whole, you know, high school, university years waiting tables. And the nice thing there, and you only made me think about it now, is think about like iterations. You know, if I do this, does it yield a greater tip? And if I don't do that, and so I think it's really good to, you know, just how how are things that we can do in our day-to-day sales job like that, where we yes. say, if I do this, what happens? And I think people are, don't do that enough. And it's that A-B testing that really shows like what, it's not really what I do. It's with what did, did they enjoy that? Did that move it forward or did it hinder it? Yeah. I, um, I wrote, I just recently wrote a blog post that hasn't dropped yet, but on the similarities of, and the ties between waitressing and sales, mm-hmm. everything from, and you understand this cause you did it, the, t- your territory matters, right? The mm-hmm. section you were assigned could mean the difference in like $40 in tips, right? Yeah. Product knowledge, you know, does a salad have nuts in it? How is the dish prepared? What's the sauce? Is it on the side or on top? Um, you know, um, relationship with your coworkers and management matters because guess who assigns you those sections and mm-hmm. your schedule, right? So a fr- the difference between getting a Friday night shift and getting a Sunday morning shift. Um, there are so there, I mean, it goes, I mean, seriously, what I, as I started thinking about it, it goes on and on and on yeah. about all of the things, you know, and not to mention the fact that persuasion, right? You probably learned your persuasion techniques, um, waitressing, because I did, you know, would you, you know, the, would you like fries with that concept? <laughs> Um, you know, you bring out, you don't, you don't just talk about the dessert, you bring out the dessert tray, Yeah, right? There are, there are several things. And then really just, and then kind of segueing into what we're going to talk about today, the type of waitressing job. So the type of sales job you take is, is an income changer. And so I started my career as a waitress, um, at a sandwich and ice cream parlor and that, you know, and then I graduated to the next restaurant I worked at had alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, this, okay, this was game changing because the yep. tips were, you know, the check was twice as big. Yep. The tips were twice as big, you know, so you have a choice about what position you take as we start to talk about interviewing and hiring. And so picking the right sales job in the right industry at the right company with the right mm-hmm. product or service, you know, will, will make a difference in your income. I think that's so valuable. And, um, you know, a lot of people are just, I, I want a job. I want to either get into sales or I want to get into SaaS sales. And I think when you don't, just like you said, really look at the company, like the culture, is this aligned with my purpose and what do I want to do in the world? And I just think, you know, and I can say that, you know, at a very young age in my early twenties, I didn't just take any job. I really was intentional with what I wanted to do because I feel that you, even if it's not transactional, it becomes transactional because you're just like, eh, you know, it is what it is. I'll, I'll make the money. And, and now, you know, more so now people feel that, right? So I feel like that's a very, it's a great place to start. So really, if you're listening, you know, your purpose, know what lights you up, know what matters to you so that you can attract and align yourself with a company that it's not just written on the wall, that, that those people embody that message and you see it built into the culture. Yeah. Um, Karen, you know that um, I've just written a book that'll be published in August of 2024 called Selling Your Way In, the playbook mm-hmm. for setting your income and owning your life. And it's a three it's three sections. It's a fairly, um, it's a fairly big read, but the first section is all about that. So I wrote the book because I see so many salespeople, whether, whether they're not in sales yet, but are going to be or are already in sales, who have picked the wrong role. Yeah. They picked the wrong company. They picked the wrong boss. They picked the wrong product or service and they're limiting their income and impacting their life. And one of the things I say in the book is like picking the wrong job could cost you $5 million over your lifetime. Like Mm -hmm. easily it could cost you $10 million over your lifetime. And so um, I wrote the book because I got tired of seeing people and frustrated that people were 
you know, they didn't really understand even all of their options, right? I mean, we talk a lot about hunter farmer, but no one talks about the solution consultant or the sales engineer. And no one talks Mm -hmm. about the onboarding or implementation specialist. Mm -hmm. Um, No one talks about, you know, the trainer. There are so many jobs underneath the sales umbrella that I don't think people truly understand. And they're not matching their strengths and their sales secret weapon and superpowers to the job and, and looking at it from that perspective. So I'd love to dig in deep today and help your listeners, you know, make sure that they are, you know, first and foremost, just vetting the company to make sure that it's a good place for them. And then how do we work through the, you know, the interview process in order to make sure that this is a job where I can be a rock star, I can be a top 10 percenter and I can, and I can make sure that I'm going to be earning at the top of my potential. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge, huge. And I can't wait for your book to come out. So congratulations again. That's a first time author. It's going to be amazing. I know that. Uh, so why don't we go there, Christy? How, how can someone vet the company? You know, I'm, I'm applying for a new AE role and um, it sounds good, but like, what can I do to make sure that more than a gut check to that this is a, a vetted company that is a good, a good match for me? Yeah, I think first and foremost, let's just look at the product because it's the product or service. So I say I'm, I'm, when I'm hiring, I'm looking for candidates who have taken what I call like the realistic or ambitious step change, meaning are they, is every job they're taking better, more challenging than the last? So if you're a sales rep who has been selling a $10,000 annual recurring revenue product, you know, the next, you want, you don't want another company where you're going to sell $10,000 revenue mm-hmm. again. Yeah you want a $50,000 average sale, right? So we're looking, so first off, like what are they charging? How are they charging? Do you already have industry experience? Do you like the industry? So a lot of times I see people staying within the industry, which I think is great because at some point you're becoming some sort of a thought leader or a subject matter expert in that industry. Um, So I think first and foremost, I would say, is this even a product or service that you want to sell? Is it the next step up for you? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you want to start, looking into the company. So obviously Glassdoor, right? I mean, that's where everybody's first stop, Glassdoor. So, you know, do they have bad reviews? Now, again, everybody has, you know, again, you got to take a lot of that with a grain of salt. Bad things happen, layoffs happen, those type of things happen that are outside of people's control. But in general, you can get a good feel for culture in looking at, not just looking at reviews from other salespeople who left that organization or still at that organization, but you should look at the other departments too, and particularly mm-hmm. look at marketing, right? Those are your mm-hmm. those are your tried and true besties once you get into the company. Sales and marketing are very much tied. But look at product dev, right? Look at the product team. Look at the product develop. Look at the dev, you know, the developers. Mm-hmm. Um, look at some of those other folks. Look at finance. <laughs> You're going to need your finance friends too. So don't just look. Don't just look to see you know if the salespeople were happy or not happy. Look at the entire organization, particularly the departments that you know you'll be working most closely with. Um, and then the thing, one of the things that I do as an interviewer is when an, when a resume comes through, I first thing I do is go to LinkedIn. And if I have a connection with that person, I'm calling that person before I ever, ever reach out to the candidate. The candidate should do the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. They should go to LinkedIn. They should see what connections they have to that organization, who works there that they know, and they should be getting insider information. They should be reaching out to those folks and saying, you know, how long have you been there? you know, how do you like it? Why do, what do you like about it? What are mm-hmm. some of the challenges? And even again, back to the industry, not just the company. I, I think those are all such great points. And even the first one, I love that. I think people stop at sales when they're looking at reviews, but think about all the department sales touches and, um, you know, understanding the culture there because it, it spreads across. Right. So I think that's really valuable. And I love the connection piece because I'm actually hiring now uh, for a company and a few people have already reached out to me on LinkedIn. So I'm just, I'm going, good, you're doing it. Like I'm checking those boxes. So I think when you're on the other end of it, you realize that like you got like any little thing matters, you know, like that got a check mark. What else can you do that's going to catch my attention? Because there's tons that I'm going through. And you realize that like a lot of them are lookalikes and sound alike. So anything that you can do in advance of the interview I mean, that's, that's your time right. to shine, but like, this is, this is low hanging fruit here to do little things like that, uh, that will help separate you from the others. Yeah. I think if you think about just the process for the candidate, the very first thing, and I was just talking to uh, a gentleman yesterday who'd just been laid off and, and it's the first time he'd been laid off. So I was, my heart went out to him cause I've had it happen twice. So what, well, yeah, I said, it gets easier the second time. You just don't want it to happen <laughs> a second time, but it does get easier. Um, cause, but it, but it, but it wrecks your self-confidence and your self-esteem. 
Um, but I think even like, and I told him, I said, remember that this is a process. And so the first thing you want to do, and I, I worked with him on his resume yesterday is the, you just want to get the phone screen. That's it, mm -hmm. right? Like that's all you want to do. The resume gets you the phone screen. You don't have any other opportunities, right? And then the phone screen gets you to the next formal interview. And then the next formal interview gets you to the next formal interview and the next formal interview gets you to the offer, so to speak. So making sure that as the candidate, you're, you're thinking along those lines, you know, like one of the things I had him do, I said, there are not enough numbers in your resume, right? I mean, like I'm a sales leader. We're looking for numbers, 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 right? I want to know percentage increase. I want to know, you know, how did you rank? I want to know what was your quota? What was your average sale? I'm going to ask you all these questions if they're not on your resume. And, and now with automation and AI, Karen, you know, a lot of these resumes are going through computers, right? Mm -hmm. So they've been taught to look for certain words. And I told him, I said, use the acronym SAS, but also use software as a service because you don't yeah. know what people are putting into their algorithm and their filters in order to pull things out. So my team, when we're looking for candidates for our clients, my team does this by hand, mm -hmm. but I know that lots of companies use computers. And so I said to him, like, you need... We need these buzzwords in here because you don't know if it's going to be a human looking at it or, or a machine. Yeah, I think that's very valuable. And, and chances are, if the volumes are big, it's going to be a machine initially, right? And so thinking outside of the algorithm, how else can you get, get its attention? So that's a great point. It, what are you seeing in terms of candidates showing up and the type of questions they're asking? Like, are they actually giving it some thought or is it kind of like, what are the next steps in the interview process? Um. There, here's what my rule of thumb in general, and this is what I teach as in sales training as well. Please don't ask anything that Google can tell you. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, I think your questions need to be very specific and things that you cannot find on the internet. If it's on the internet, you should know you've already, should have already done your pre-call planning, even for your interview. Um, and so I think you really under, like, like I want to, I'm very happy when people challenge me. When I hear questions like, is this a growth position or are you replacing somebody you fired or who left? Right. Why is this position open? You know, tell me about the challenges in the industry. If they've mm -hmm. done some research, they may say, hey, I've noticed that this is whatever. Or tell me what your differentiators are between you and competitor X and Y. They've done their homework. Anything that shows me they've done their homework honestly gets you to the top of the class anyway. But, but I'm looking for people particularly, and, and because I live currently in the startup world, if you're not asking me, tell me about your funding and tell me about your runway, then I'm then I know they don't understand startup, mm -hmm. which is a concern for me. So you should be asking me, particularly as you get higher up in the in the org chart, so to speak. So maybe as an SDR, that might not be a question that's that's super concerning for you. But as an AE or a sales leader, as I'm hiring all of those as well, or customer success manager that are six figure jobs, you should be asking me about my finances. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to share my PL or my balance sheet, but I'm going to say, like, you know, we've, and this is a common question and a common term. Like, I've got another two and a half years of runway, meaning mm -hmm. if I continue to burn what the VC gave me at the current rate, then I'm going to have money. If I, if I never sold something, anything else, right? If I never sold anything, which would obviously not be the goal, but if I never sold anything, this is when I'm going to run out of money. Um, and so I think it's, I think for a bigger company or a public company, it's fair to say, like, tell me about your profitability. You know, for a public company, again, it's it's out there on the internet. You should probably know. But if it's a private, if it's a large private company, tell me about profitability. Um, tell me where you spend your money, right? If you're VC backed or PE backed, where are you putting that money, right? Mm -hmm. Are you putting it into product? Are you, is it, you know, and it, which would, you know, be an in, indicator that perhaps either the product might be behind or we want to get ahead. Um, I would be asking about product, particularly in a software situation. Tell me about your product. Where are you behind? You know, where are you behind? What's on the roadmap? Where are you behind the competitors? How long does it take to get a new feature functionality built into market? Mm -hmm. What about upcoming other products that may be, you know, add-ons to what I, what the core product looks like? I just think the question, I mean, if you think about all the things, like if you think about the other departments that we kind of talked about, if you think about finance, right? What would you want to know about the money? Marketing. Tell me about the marketing support that I'm getting. What is marketing doing? We, how many trade shows a, a year are we doing? you know, what about product development? What about customer success or account management? There are an endless supply of questions to be asking, but I, as an interviewer, I like the questions that stop me, mm -hmm. right? I like the questions that are challenging me because what, first off, the first thing it tells me is I'm not the only person they're talking to. Mm -hmm. They have options, right? So now I'm on my A game because those kind of questions lead me very quickly to understand that they're vetting me 
and because they have options. And, and that's event. That's what you want in a rep because what they're doing to you, you want them to do that to your prospect, to ask them those questions where they're stumped because no one else is asking them those thought provoking questions. I yep. love that. Ask me the hard but, questions. I'm fine. Totally. But even, um, you know, and a lot of people like, I don't have any sales experience or minimal, but I, in my, I always say like, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Yes. And so by you asking these questions, it shows like, this is your job security. Are they innovative? What is their roadmap? How long does it take to get these uh, new product launches? Because if they're behind, like you're joining a sinking ship and you're only going to be in this hiring process in six to 12 months from now. So I just think, take a step yep. back and really take this seriously. And just like, is, is your future aligned to, to mine? Or is this a short term, like we're trying to, you know, get profitable to sell? If that's what you want, okay. But I think it's know what you want. Yeah. And that is, and again, because I work in the startup world, that is again, I appreciate the question, what's the end game? Yeah. Right. Is yeah. the end game, right. Is the end game to sell, which mm -hmm. in, in a lot of cases it is. And how yeah. close are you to doing that? Cause you, that you surely wouldn't want to join a company and find out eight months later it's being sold. I actually had that happen to me. Um, yeah. 18 months in we sold to our competitor. Um, and I was employee number one, let go. That was the first time I was, I was laid off. Um, so you do want to understand like, what's the end game here? Again, some of it, I mean, again, very few companies are, you know, private companies are going to go IPO, right? It's just mm -hmm. not going to happen. So IPO is one of your options. Being sold is one of your options. And then being sold to another, or, you know, getting another VC to invest in you is mm -hmm. another one of your options. But and again, I think just growth of the company too. Like they may not be willing to disclose exactly what last year's growth is, but they can tell you if we're in the, you know, if the number starts with a double digit starting with a two or yeah. not, you know, we're starting with a one or we're, you know, we're in, we're in maintenance mode, as I call it, you know, we're in the mature cycle where we're getting, if we got five or 6% growth a year, because you've got to, again, back to like, um, you know, the, the first chapter in the book for me is you have to know yourself before you know the prospect in your company. So again, you've got to know, are you a steady Eddie? Are you someone who would really appreciate a more mature company with mm -hmm. a 5% annual year over year growth rate? Because that means change isn't happening. Or mm -hmm. the like the world I live in, I affectionately say the Christieism for this is you have to be more willow than oak. We are always changing everything, right? So if the big storm comes through and you're an oak tree and you don't want to move, well, you're going to be uprooted where the willow will still be standing in the morning. So we're going to be, you know, we're changing messaging. I mean, we're even changing pricing sometimes, even after a year and a half or two years in the market, we might be changing our pricing structure. So like, are you someone who has a high risk tolerance? Um, the interview question I asked for this, Karen is, Karen, tell me about the last time somebody said, I can't believe you just did that. Because if you have a low risk tolerance, you don't hear that. Yeah. Right. But if you're, but if you have a high risk tolerance, you probably hear it frequently. <laughs> then that's a great question that's to right. say, like, am I, am I the steady Eddie? Do I like that? predictable path? Like, or am I okay to just show up and be like, okay, I'll, I'm like an ER doc. I'm ready to, to handle whatever's thrown at me. Right. People, I don't, I don't know how much people really consider that. Yeah. And I think your personal life too, like one of the other questions I ask is when's the last time you made a personal sacrifice for, for your boss or for the company? Sometimes this isn't a 40 hour week job. And, and if you have small children and you've got, you know, soccer practice and softball and gymnastics or whatever, like if you need to leave the office or be off calls by X, this might not be the, I mean, a startup might not be the best place for you. So I think at the end of the day, the thing I'm trying to get across to folks is there is a job out there for you. There's a job in sales for you, right? And there's for everybody who wants a job in sales, there's a perfect fit for you, so to speak. It might not be a perfect fit for life. Like you may, mm -hmm. you may have to find multiple perfect fits over time. But if you really understand yourself, your risk tolerance, what you want, you know, what you want income to look like, um, you, the type of customers you like working with or prospects you like working with, the type of, you know, bosses you like to work for, really understanding all of those things, then you, then, you know, I, I always say flip the script. So the first two interviews that I do with candidates are all about making sure that they're qualified, right? So I'm, I'm making sure, so they don't get a lot of time to ask questions. But once I determine that they are qualified to do the job, then I literally say to them, we're going to flip the script. I'm turning the table on you. Mm -hmm. The next two interviews, you should be deciding whether or not this is a good idea because I say to the candidate, you'll know way before I will, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to spend three or four hours with you. You will know in your gut if this is a good idea long before I will know. So please do your due diligence, listen to your gut and decide whether or not this is someplace that you can be. I mean, we want, we, nobody wants to terminate anybody and nobody wants to quit. We all want everybody to be successful. That's the whole goal. We spend too much time 
interviewing, onboarding, training, all of that in order for it to not work out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, please make sure that this is someplace that you think you can be successful and that you will enjoy being at. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important because it is like it's I mean, the financial investment, the time, even what it does to the team when you bring someone on and they're not successful and they leave and just you're never getting that, you know, momentum. It's it's very damaging. So I, I agree with you. Really take your time and, and take it very seriously. I just want to build on what we're talking about. And so when you're when you're interviewing both BDRs and AE, what are some of the qualities and traits you're looking for? And I guess you can you can sp split them up for the two different roles. And if there's an overlap, if there's some that are uh, grouped, you can share that as well. Just so, again, this helps people answer wh which role is good for me, or maybe it's customer success. You know, who knows? But I think it's important to know what what interviewers are looking for in those roles. Yeah, well, I'll start with the SDR BDR role because in general, we think of that as the hunter role and we assume that they're going to become an account executive and a hunter role after that. But what I tell candidates in that when they're interviewing for that, I've had the pleasure of being able to start two SDR teams from zero, um, which as a sales leader, you hardly ever get to do is build your own team from scratch, but I have. And even though I'm always looking for hunter traits, Mm -hmm. I'm not always needing 100% hunter. And here's what I say to people who come into this role, because a lot of times it is your starter sales job, if you will. And so you may or may not think, you may or may not know whether you want to be a hunter, but you think you do. Like some, again, I always say like, Uncle George has said, oh, you should go into a sales. You've got a great personality, right? I love that. I hear that all the time. But but the nice thing about the SDR BDR job is because it's so soon out of, out of you know, early in your career, you don't, you're not locked into anything. So I say there are four paths out of SDRdom. One of them is obviously AE, Hunter, so quota carrying net new sales rep. The other one is customer success. So switching from Hunter to Farmer and relationship building. But again, commission, there's that's a commission component to this as well. Renewals, expansion, upsell, cross-sell. That solution consultant or sales engineer I talked about. Sometimes I see people right away and I'm like, oh, you're technical. I'm like... If you don't like the hunter job, I'll tell a story in a minute, but then this, this solution engineer, sales engineer, solution consultant is perfect for you. Again, bonus based, like base salary with a little bit of bonus, part of the sales umbrella, the sales team, part of making sure that sales get closed. And then the other one, sometimes I have people go into marketing because we work so closely with marketing. Um, I've had, I've had a few SDRs go into event marketing. So I think there are a lot of paths out of the SDRdom. One of the stories that uh, that I like to tell and I told in the book is there was actually somebody who was a project manager for the engineering team. And I um, ended up playing, again, this is this is a typical startup story. I ended up playing ping pong with him one night um, over with a beer at the end of the day. And I didn't know him very well. And I was like, Brent, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong job. He's like, what are you talking about? I go, oh my gosh, you need to come to the dark side. Like <laughs> you have sales written all over you. Like, oh my gosh, you could be so successful. He was like, no way, that's too stressful. That starting at zero thing every month and commission based, like no way, Jose. And so I worked on him for a little bit and finally I, I gave up. And then one day he shows up in my office and he says, hey, um, the company just approached me and wants me to be the first sales engineer. And I was like, uh-huh, perfect fit. Like, this is it, right? Like, I don't know if I hadn't really badgered him, whether he would have even thought of himself as part of the sales team. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh my gosh, it's genius. We didn't, I didn't suggest or think about it. We didn't have any at the time. He literally became sales engineer number one. Um, so th that's the other thing. Like just because you're in some position, I mean, I, I right away, I was like, oh, my friend, like you could be making twice as much money. Come to the dark side. Mm -hmm. He was like, oh no. But we found the perfect position for him. And today at the same, very same company that I identified that and he became the very first sales engineer, he is now the SVP of solution consultants. That's fantastic. So he found that he found his calling. So I think with the SDRs, like be flexible, I guess I would say. Like mm -hmm. there are lots of paths out of SDRdom. Let's, I mean, let's be honest, you're going to be in there for 18 months, like tops, 24 months, you know, if, if, it, if, you know, if you became a real rock star and, and we're making good money, but th this is your starter sales job. So be, pay attention to what's going on around you. You're going to be sitting on calls with your AE, right? You'll sit in some of those calls for training purposes or for warm handoffs. So pay attention to that. But you should also be sitting in on customer success, you know, quarterly business reviews or executive business reviews. You should be, you know, you should have enough contact with marketing to know what's going on over there. And then again, if you're in a situation where there are solution consultants or sales engineers, 
ask to sit on some of those calls when we're doing high level demos like that. So you can kind of see what those options are because you're not entrenched yet, right? Mm -hmm. You're not golden handcuffed into anything financially or anything else. So be flexible. I love that because I think a few things here, but that gives you the holistic view versus just being known as the meeting getter. You know, and I, I, I don't even like that their metrics are, you know, around that because it just shows I'll, I'll do anything, you know, I'll even get a meeting with an unqualified prospect, but I hit my target. So it's like, who cares? But I think when you can do things like you've suggested, talk to CS, talk to the sales engineers, you know, sit in on some AE calls, you're able to see that full picture so that when you're booking a meeting, you can help them see around the corner Versus just, I'm only, and so many times I hear, well, it's just me right now. And all I can do is this. And then I'm going to pass you off to this person. Like they're more experienced. And I feel there's like some self-deprecation there. And like, I'm only this little thing. And I'm like, no, but you don't have to be. Like you can still be an SDR, but you can still educate them off for value. So that that handoff, you're already infringing a little bit into the AE role, but the customers benefited from it. Yeah. Here's a, here's a tip um, for people thinking about the SDR, BDR role. Do not take a job with a company where you are what I'll affectionately call pimping the demo. So when you say to them, like, tell me about the position and how do these calls go with the prospects? If they say, oh, you're just like giving them, you know, giving them some big, exciting information about a feature functionality and asking if they want to see a product, see the product that will give you zero sales skills. You will not learn a thing. And I can't, I can't promote you right? If you have not had what done what I'll call discovery light, um, mm -hmm. the SDRs that I work with are required to get what I'll call housekeeping tactical information, right? Like information about like, you know, how are you currently doing it? Like current situation, what are you currently using? But I require my SDRs to get one pain point before they can set an appointment with an AE. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just trying to be mean that I'm helping them because if they can't do that, then they're not going to be able to run a, a full on 45 minute, 60 minute, 30 minute discovery call and really be able to dig deep. So um, I walked into a company about a year ago um, that where I was working with an SDR team of about six or seven and they were reading a script. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, we're about to, we're about to throw that out the window. And they were like freaked out. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm like, I'm going to teach you how to add. I mean, again, like these are sales soft skills that you need to be taught how to do. But at the but they didn't know what to do when someone asked a question, right? When someone asked a question, they didn't have an answer. They didn't even really understand how their product worked. And and I said to them, I don't I don't know how to tell you this without just telling you this. I you, none of you are able, none of you are promotable. I can't put you anywhere. <laughs> Because you don't have basic sales skills. You haven't been taught basic sales skills. So don't take a job where you're just presenting and pimping the demo um, without asking, being able to ask some questions. And then, you know, I teach in a, I do, you can't put any on the phone, anybody on the phone, Karen, without a live call script. So I do have a live call script for new reps. But mm -hmm. I, so I have, but it's a three-parter, right? It's introduction. Like, why should you give me three minutes? It's the most important three or four questions I need to ask to help qualify you in or out. And then I call it the transition statement. The transition statement is, Karen, thanks so much for your time. I told you I would keep this short. I appreciate you answering the questions that I ask. Based on X, I do believe there's a reason for us to speak further and here's why. That's mm -hmm. the value part that you just mentioned, right? So if your company is not asking you to do that, and I call it checking your brain at the door. If you're going to walk in the door every day and just check your brain because you're just going to like read whatever they told you to read and pimp the demo, you're not going to, you're going to leave without any important sales skills to get the next job. Basic sa sales skills are non-existent today. And, and, and <laughs> you're, you're you know, that's maybe a blanket so statement, but I would say, and it's kind of not really the rep's fault because no. when they're onboarded and they're thrown a script and a product spec sheet, you know, no one's told them. It, for me, it's all about human behavior now. Like, what? Even to teach them, like, why would somebody ask that question? Like, what was the motivation behind that? Versus panicking that I can't answer it. Well, why are they asking it? Like, something's gone wrong before. And so, just lean into that curiosity and dig back as to why. Why are you asking things like that? Because I. Even when you think about all the tech right now, and a lot of companies have don't have the budget to support it, so they're really working on you know um, skeletal bones here. But what that's done is revealed 
the real lack of foundational fundamental sales skills. And when that, it's like that relying on a script and it's like, if someone's reading, I'll, I'll say to them, are you reading? <laughs> like, it's so obvious. And I, I know that throws them off. They're like, yeah. And I'm like, don't read. I'm like, stop reading. <laughs> like, this is as a consumer. You know, it's not setting anyone up to support sales as a profession. And I think it goes back to what you asked me originally, which is vetting the company. Mm-hmm. And so if you hear that, like one of the things that I give candidates an opportunity to do is talk to somebody currently doing the job mm, and any great, company yeah. should allow you to do that. So, yeah. you know, after I've gotten through my formal interview and I do, by the way, do assessments. So you mentioned that we do do assessments. Then I let you spend 15 to 20 minutes talking to someone currently doing the job and asking, and I say, I know I'm not there. Mm-hmm. I set it up for them, just the two of them. I'm not in the room virtually or otherwise. And I say, ask them anything, ask about the hiring manager, ask about the company, ask about the culture, ask about, Mm -hmm. you know, tools, ask about whatever you want, but you should be talking to somebody who's doing the job. And if, and if that SDR says, oh my gosh, we've got the best script ever, like (laughs) run, not, not a good idea. Yeah. But, but even that level of transparency, I would say it would, it for me would be a check and just be like, okay, they're not hiding anything. Right. Uh, let me talk to someone on on the on the floor is actually doing it, you know, and and really get that. And I, when I started my career, I was able to do that. And I remember just, you know, you're just you're getting someone on the inside, like, what's it really like? Like, a, a, is this real? What they're saying, or is it right? Right. Yeah. yeah. If you got nothing, if you got nothing to hide, then you don't have to hide Should, anybody, yeah. right? And I would say conversely, if they're not willing to do that, that would be a bit of a red flag too. It's like, what are you hiding? I would agree. So, we kind of understand. The, the BDR, 18 to 24 months. One thing I would say there is, you know, a lot of BDRs, SDRs, they go in with the mindset of like, this is my sentence for 12 months. And I would take it as like, this is a great learning opportunity. And if it takes you more, like don't rush it because you're probably never going to be back in this role again, but really right. take advantage of the access you have to all these, you know, prospects, um, all the other components that are going to help you later. But I think people just want to blaze through and fast track it. And part of it is also like, you got to earn your stripes. Like I started in customer service and I hated it, but I had to earn my dues. Right. And, and I, in, in hindsight, I learned so much be- because of all of this, I talked to finance, I talked to supply chain. I had relations. I understood how everything worked that I blew everyone out of sales when I did it because I had these internal relations and understanding of processes. Mm-hmm. And I think people just lose, they have their eye on the price to get out. And I'm like, just just hang for a bit and see when you when you let go and relinquish what actually could come to you that could better prepare you than others. Yeah, if you're working for the right company and the right boss, this is the this is again your starter sales job. But if you are working for the right company and the right boss, you'll have a lot of flexibility and autonomy. Mm-hmm. So with, with the majority of the SDRs, when an SDR comes to me and they haven't checked their brain at the door and they say, Hey, like, I've been thinking about like, maybe we should try this. And I go, cool. Unless it's a really stupid idea. And I say, <laughs> great. But I say that, then I say to them like, but I'm going to require that you commit to it for 30 days, mm-hmm. not three days, yeah, not 10 days. So are you committed enough to your strategy mm-hmm. to give it 30 days so we can properly evaluate it? Because you're going to suck at it for the first few days because it's mm-hmm. new and you're not going to have done it before. Mm-hmm. So if you want to try to write a, you know, write a new custom email or you want to try a new voicemail or you want to try a new open introduction to a live call, cool. I mean, I, I'm all about that. I, I don't think that I have all the answers to what works in each individual industry with each individual person or persona. Like, so, and there's so many, again, like you said, there's so many new ideas coming out and new tech and all of these things. So I'm like, great. So this really is an opportunity for, so going back to knowing yourself before you know the prospect, this is an opportunity for you to start to figure out what's your sales secret weapon and what's your sales superpower. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? What are you doing better than anybody else? What are you more comfortable mm-hmm. doing? What are your coworkers coming to you and saying, Hey, Karen, like, tell me how you got, how, how are you doing that again? Like, mm-hmm. It's a good start. You've got to start honing your superpowers and your secret weapons, all of those things early on. And this is a great, the SDR role is a great place to try this out. Mm-hmm. And I think even asking for feedback to colleagues, friends, people, you know, you've worked with in the past and say like, you know, how would you describe me? Because I think the way in which we see ourselves sometimes is different than how we're seen by others. And when you get these common language and common themes, you're like, God, that, that must be me. And maybe you weren't aware. And that is one of your superpowers. That's right. Yep. Um, you asked also about AE and the things that AE should be thinking about. And I think I've touched a little bit on this at the beginning. 
you've already had, you've already, you've either come out of SDRdom or you've been a junior AE, you know, selling a lower, you know, lower price product, lower average sale. So like if I'm a, if I'm an AE, I need to be, I am not thinking about job roles anymore. I now need to be thinking about career. Mm-hmm. And so where do I want, like, you know, thinking about, I don't play chess by the way, but I wish I did because I, cause I like, I like the chess analogy, but you need to be thinking two steps ahead. Right. And at some point you need to decide like, is individual contributor your path or is leader your path? And so once you think you might have that, you know, you're probably, again, very few SDRs, by the way, become the SDR manager. Normally the SDR manager normally was probably an AE at one point, by the way. So although it's becoming more common, but I think even like, do you understand what your path is? And, and, and I, my personal philosophy is the majority of individual contributors should not become the leader at some point if they've not identified that early in the process. So if they've been an AE for a hunter for 10 years and now all of a sudden they want to be the sales, you know, somebody says, Oh, you, you know, you're finally at the top 10%. We should make you sales leader. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> First off, if you, if they were going to be a leader, they would have raised their hand for a leader earlier on. Right. They would have mm-hmm. been like, Hey, like, I really think like, and you know, that you, you would see the signs they're mentoring other people within the SDR world. They're mentoring their AEs. They're, you know, volunteering to like, I'll put that new process in writing or I'll be the first one to try that. I'll, I'll try it out and then I'll tell you how it goes, right? You'll see those signs along the way. But I think as an AE, you've, you know, if you've been an AE for three to five years, you're sort of like, you've probably made the mental and emotional commitment that I'm a hunter and this is what I want to do. So now you need to stop thinking about jobs and start thinking about careers and income. So what do I need to do between now and X? to maximize my income and make sure I don't lose that five or 10 million over a lifetime that I could otherwise be having because I took the wrong job with the wrong company or the wrong product. And I'll tell you a failure story, Karen, so that emphasize this point that if you've made a wrong step, it's okay to abort. So I already knew I was already down the path of VC backed companies. I was like, this was my calling. I loved how fast paced they were and everything. And then I lost my job. I told you about being employee number one, let go when network solutions became web.com and web.com said, we'd love to have you in Florida. And I was like, yeah, I don't live. I'm not moving to Florida. I live in St. Louis. I have a child in school. So I lost my job because I wasn't willing to move, which happens. It seems, it seems funny to say it now, but this was pre pandemic when people thought that you had to be in the office. And so I was looking for, I knew I was started to know myself. So I knew I wanted BC backed. I knew one of the other things is I had interviewed for a job prior to that last job I had taken, and I didn't have any international experience. I hadn't sold internationally or been a sales leader for an international team, and that was that role. And so I was like, I really need to check the international box. And so I stumbled across a job on LinkedIn that was a VC-backed pet food company, holistic dog and cat food. And I was like, huh, and I was going to get to run Canada. So, okay. So it wasn't a Mia, it wasn't APAC, but I was like, okay, well, like it's another country. I'm going to count it. You you appreciate this as a Canadian. I was like, I was like, yep, that's a, that's a different country than the one I live in. I, you know, I interviewed, it was a female sales leader, female SVP of sales. So I was like, we don't come across that very often. The, the CEO and the COO had just been, they were guns for hire, as I affectionately call them with the VC. They just turned around Briar's ice cream which I did not know had been failing, but apparently had. And I was like, it, they were checking all the boxes, right? VC back, smart people, you know, um, I got to, you know, run the Canadian team and the inside sales team. So I was like, bonus, I was like a bonus thing. And I, three to four months in, I was like, what have I done? Mm. I had been living in the software world. I didn't understand anything about food. I didn't understand about FDA regulations. I didn't understand that when you can't get an ingredient, you shut the whole the plant shuts down because they can't produce the dog, the chicken dog food because we can't get that one ingredient that we need. I was like, this, and it, and it was a distribution model. Like my sales reps were going into the pet stores and convincing them to buy X number of pallets and then leaving. And then there was no guarantee that was going to happen. I was like, this is horrible. And eight months later I left. I knew I had made a wrong step change. I had put myself in the wrong. That was not going to get me. This was not a career advancement situation mm-hmm. for me. I wasn't going to get, I was, I was, I was d- miserable not being in software because in software, I was like, 
if you want to build it, it's like, well, how many developers should we throw at it to get it done in three weeks, right? It doesn't work that way in food. I just didn't know. I'd never been in CPG and I hated yeah. CPG. I was like, I hated everything about it. So it's like, you're going to occasionally, probably you may one or two times within your career, make a wrong step change. It's not nothing you can't, it's nothing you can't correct, mm-hmm. get, but get out quickly, right? Because the longer you're there, the harder it's going to be to explain why you stayed for three years yeah. if you were miserable. And I think that point, Chrissy, is just, you know, in life, we're going to fail, but fail fast, learn and get up and go. Fail fast. And, yes. and I, I had the same. I did that midway for two and a half years. So I did, uh, I went from capital equipment, large multi-million dollar deals to a more of a consumable, still in the same industry. But I remember even these objections when someone was like, you know, $30 for this kid is expensive. And I'm used to selling three and $4 million. And I'm like, What? 30 bucks. Like, I just didn't understand that. I wasn't empathetic to them because it wasn't my world. And so I think, again, those, you know, there's always a silver lining and that reinforces what your superpowers are and also like what you like, what do you want to get behind? So once you, you know, deviate from the path a little bit, you get back on and you're so on that path then that you're like, I I think, you know, it can serve you even better because you're just, there's that level of conviction that like, no, I know for certainty that this is what I'm, I'm meant to be. Yeah. I think, yeah, I knew, right. I mean, I knew I was, I was, you know, the first, again, you're in that honeymoon period, that first three months and everybody was so smart. Right. I mean, I was just like, Oh, like I'm in the right room now. Cause I'm not the smartest person in the room. So I'm yeah. totally in the right room. But then I'm like, I don't even like cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I'm like, I don't even like cat cats. I'm sure. like, I was like, yeah. And I'm like, and I don't really like all dogs either. Like those big dogs that slobber. I don't like those either. So oh I was like, God. I don't even know what I, what am I doing here? But you know, one other thing you just got me thinking about, like also ask yourself, am I running away from something? Like, am I running away Ah. from a crap job, a crap boss, or am I running towards something? Because there's a big difference. Thank you for saying so. Yes. I just had this conversation with a friend recently and said, you need to stop running away Mm -hmm. and start running towards. And this is where the other Christyism is panic causes bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the gentleman I mentioned, I talked to yesterday, who's was at laid off. I mean, they lost their number one client. And Mm -hmm. 30 sales reps lost their job. And he was one of the newer sales reps. And Mm -hmm. he'd just gotten into SaaS. He'd come from staffing, by the way. And it was funny. He kept saying to me, yeah, I just got my first sales job. He said it like seven times in about 15 minutes. And I said, hey, um, Nick, I need to point out something. And I don't mean to be mean about it. I said, but you need to stop saying you'd just gotten into your first sales job as if staffing wasn't a sales job. Mm-hmm. I said, my brother was, is a top performer for Aerotech Tech Systems um, and has worked for them for 23 years and has been the number one guy in his region for three. I said, he absolutely is in sales. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt in my mind. We talk about it all the time. I said, so don't, you know, you took your first SaaS sales job, yeah, right? But staffing is a sales job. And so, but I think like, you know, and I said to him, he had a couple of opportunities, but one, he had three opportunities on, but two of them were moving a little bit more slowly, which were more SaaS companies. The other one was back in staffing. And I said, and I said to him, I know that that sounds like the easy path. And I know that we're coming up to the holidays and there's all this panic. But I said, you know, I would encourage you to try to speed up the other two by letting them know that you're expecting some offers Mm -hmm. because he was, he's like, I'm afraid the staffing company is going to give me an offer next week. And I said, Without saying it's a staffing company, call those recruiters and say, hey, is there any way that I can get in this week to do the interview? Because I, you know, I'm expecting an offer next week. And so I, I think, you know, when you have either been let go or you're in a bad situation, like I knew I was in a bad situation with the pet food company, but I did not leave until I had my next job lined up. I started mm-hmm. again, I started very heavily looking for my next opportunity but I didn't quit because that would have been a bad idea mm-hmm. financially and for some other reasons. And there, and by the way, there were things I was learning, by the way, I was learning some, I mean, again, I was learning that certain provenances within your country need to have French on their dog food bags instead of English. And I was learning, I was learning things that I did not know before. Right. Th- that supports your international experience. You can say you, and I checked the international box for eight months. Right. <laughs> um, so what would you say the top three, traits would be for an AE? Like, are you looking for an effective communicator? Are you looking for someone who's the ability to influence curiosity? Like what are some things that, that really are, this is what separates, you know, the top from the average. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. What separates the top from the rest is not what people think it is. And this is one of the reasons I wrote the book as well. So this is the question I asked during the interview. Karen, tell me three things that you do consistently in, in a sales role, regardless of the company that you're working for or the product that you're selling. And here's what top 10 percenters say to me after they think the question over. They go, mm, I'm at the gym every morning by six. Mm -hmm. I listen to business and sales podcasts. I read a sales or business book a quarter. I have a group of, of friends that are also in sales and we meet quarterly over drinks to, you know, support each other and, you know, answer questions that we've got about the situations that we're in. Um, I have a spiritual or religious practice. Mm -hmm. So I can easily separate the 10% from the other 90 because the top 10 percenters understand, and you and I talked about this a little bit when we were hiking in Arizona together recently, but the top 10 percenters know that the work to get to the top doesn't actually happen at work. Mm -hmm. It happens after work. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for people, regardless of, of the position and who I'm hiring and what position I'm hiring for, I'm looking for people that are investing in their own personal and professional development and taking responsibility and accountability for that outside of what the company's done for them. Mm -hmm. So to your point, I always ask people, what sort of professional soft skills sales training have you been provided? And 87% of the time I hear, I haven't. And my follow-up question to that is, so what have you done for yourself? Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you and I've talked about this, um, you know, over the time that we spend together, we exercise, we mm -hmm. eat well, you know, you, you monitor the amount of alcohol that goes in your body. I actually am um, all about wine. Um, so we have, two, we have two different strategies there. I'm going to, I'm, I'm like, Oh, a good bottle of red goes a long way. Um, I'll call it antioxidants. We have made decisions as top 10 percenters that other, the other 90 don't have the discipline, the wherewithal, the interest in doing. And again, because you and I want to make sure we don't put that five and $10 million. We don't want to leave that on the table. We want to ensure, make sure we take that with us. And so what I hear there is how we do anything is how we do everything. Oh, Karenism. Yeah. I, I, I always say that to my kids. Like, you know, I talk about mamba mentality and I'm like, this bedroom and the messiness is not mamba mentality. And when you go to the soccer field, that's not mamba. So it's all correlated. And even the other day I was in the gym and, and I was just like, I had two more and I, I could have cut it early. And I'm like, Karen, like I, that's like picking up the phone and uh, it's like five to five. I'm going to stop. It's like how you do anything is how you do it. You got to hang in there. Yep. And I think that grit and that just that one percenter is what and I completely agree with you. It's out like look at the role, but look at the person. That's look right. Look at the person. And do they want to better themselves? Because it's not like I'm a salesperson and then I'm this. You, this is you're bringing your full self to the to the game every day. And smart people are trainable right? Smart people who take care of themselves and put themselves first are trainable. So they don't have to know everything about your industry or your product or your service or whatever. They need to, they need to know about themselves. They need to be a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. you know, they need to know what motivates them. They need to know how they want to be rewarded financially. If they know those kind of things, then I can, I can fill in the blanks. And, you know, it just brings me back full circle here. It's like, know yourself. Like we started here, like going, know yourself to attract the company. But even in that negotiation phase, like what, what motivates you? Like for me, it was always cash, like back in the nineties. And, you know, now people it's in, and, and the irony is it's not money for everybody. Some people no, want to know that they're the younger generation, that they're part of something bigger than them, that there's a sense of community, that there's an environmental, that they're reducing the carbon footprint. And that's great. That's but right. You need to know what that is. Otherwise, we're painting everyone with the same brush. And I just think people that know themselves, you're not going to attract those kind of people when you're just, you know, painting everyone the same and not really being attuned. And those people should also challenge that because they're like, hang on a minute. Like, and that's where they have to stop and say, I'm just going to pause for a moment and, and, you know, and correct you because that's not who I am. Yeah. And another day in a different podcast, um, the other thing that I think that just in general is this concept of cultural fit. Mm -hmm. versus what I call, what I would like to see as cultural ad, right? Mm -hmm. And it goes, goes back to that, what you just said, painting everyone the same color. That's cultural fit. That's, mm -hmm. I'm looking for people who look like me, who yeah. have my same background, who have my same socioeconomic situation, who grew up the way I grew up, who went to college or didn't go to college or whatever it is. That doesn't benefit companies. We need to be looking for cultural ad. We need mm -hmm. to be looking for diversity, um, not and not just in the things that the things that you think when you say the word diversity comes to mind, but like, how did you grow up? 
mm-hmm. was your experience? You know, like, again, like I love to hire athletes. We didn't talk, we didn't go deep on that, but like, I love to hire athletes. <clears throat> I particularly like to hire collegiate athletes because the balancing act it takes mm-hmm. to be a student athlete today with the demands that are on athletes because of the mm-hmm. amount of money that colleges are making. Again, we can have an NCA conversation another day, but like in order to balance all that, yeah. you know, like, again, like, you know, you're missing, I mean, student athletes are missing the majority. I mean, they're missing up to 40% or 50% or if you're a football player or a basketball player, 60% of classes, you're not mm-hmm. even in class. Yeah. So like you have to figure out, you know, you've got tutors. Yes. You've got some of those support systems, particularly at the larger schools. But I mean, what you've learned is being, being a collegiate athlete, the same thing with military. Mm-hmm. I like to hire military leaders because, you know, they, they, you know, they have to think on their, yes, they're working within a structure. We have a very structured military system in the United States, but, um, they have to think on their feet. They have mm-hmm. leadership skills. They're problem mm-hmm. solvers. They have to be problem solvers. So I'm, you know, when I'm looking for certain people, I'm looking for certain things that people have gravitated towards or done. Mm-hmm. And even like, again, even high school athletics, or I hired a guy one time for an AE position straight out of college. His name is Ryan. I know exactly who he is and I can track him down today because I keep track of him. He had started an auto. This was before it was a big deal. He had started, this was in the, this has been in the nineties. He had started an autograph business in college and he would spend his weekends not partying, not going to the football or basketball games. He would go to the nearest big city where the big sport, professional sporting event was happening. And he would stand outside the back doors of hotels and the back doors where the buses were coming out of the arena with baseballs, footballs, jerseys, whatever, he made a, he made a five figure income his last year in college. And I'm like, that's the guy I want on my team. Yeah. The hustler. Yep. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, that's Gary V's mentality and, you know, just to hustle and even these side hustles and, you know, are you spending your time in bars and parties or are you actually, you know, working on yourself and, and honing your craft? And I think, I think that's very important to do. One thing that I am always intrigued with was is just critical thinking skills and understanding. And I'm actually going through this with my son right now, who's nine, but I'm like, Jordan, it doesn't matter about the answer. I said, I want to know how you're coming at the problem. Like, how are you tackling it? Like, what number are you going with? And I just think even, and this is where coaching comes in. And when you invite you, the, the, your rep to come first, yep. you're inviting them to come at it from an angle and a perspective and an approach that might be completely opposite to what you're doing. And it might be better. And I just think, see how their brain works. And this is, again, to support your comment about diversity. Yep. Diversity in gender, in experience, in industry, in everything. Like, if you surround yourself with, like, I think Britney Spears, just like all her people are there. They're yes people because they know they're getting paid well. What about <laughs> someone who challenges the status quo and makes you think and pushes back? Like, those are the people that I want around me. Yeah. And, and, um, just like in sales, there's tension, but I think the best companies also when the knights of the round table get together, if you will, you know, if we're all disagreeing with the leader, the CEO, the founder, the whomever, that's not going to make that company better. You need to surround yourself with people who will challenge you um, and say like, you know, is there a better way? Is there a different way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I mean, and I think there are you know, I think that, I mean, this t- definitely goes on in companies. I think it's it's definitely a little harder to interview for, but I mean, as I, if I was a candidate, I think the question I would ask is, you know, tell me about the last time that the executive team overruled the CEO. I'd hire you. <laughs> well, these behavioral based interview questions just like bounce around in my head at night. I see that. That's amazing. <laughs> what is the, what are your thoughts now on hiring somebody without an education? Oh, so funny. I was just talking about this the other day. I could care less anymore. Yeah. Um, I really, I really could. And I was, and I'll be honest with you. Like I was the college junkie. Like you didn't have a college degree. You were never getting past the door. I really thought that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think that anymore. I -hmm. think life experience, I think where you've come from, I'm about grit now. I read the book grit by Angela Duckworth. Mm -hmm. I'm all about grit. And so I think, you know, I think life experience, particularly in sales, can take you a long way. I just commented on a post in LinkedIn yesterday that I thought might get me in trouble, but I went down the path anyway. But somebody had put out there like, you know, hey, recruiters, like there are other people out here in the world who probably have something to offer that didn't go to college. Mm -hmm. And I jumped on it right away and said, you know what? And for sure, like, and I worked for a company that will remain nameless 
where the conversation around the Knights of the Round Table was, you know, finding people from, I'll call them the blue blood schools because I'm yeah. a big basketball girl. And so I said, you know what? There are a lot of other people out there that don't have an MBA from a blue blood school who worked their way through college. Again, I love this, right? I'm always looking for the student athlete or I'm looking for somebody who worked their way through college. I'm looking for somebody who contributed financially mm-hmm. to their college. Um, so like they worked their way through college, which means they had to come up, which means they have time management skills, prioritization skills. Um, they're probably persuasive because there were probably times when they had to go to the professor and ask for an extension because they got caught an extra two hours at work that night and couldn't get home to finish their project. And I said, and as a result of that, they're probably super grateful that you would take a chance on them and they may actually be more loyal and stay longer than the 18 month average. Yeah. So I am no longer that snob, that college snob that I used to be. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's for everybody. And honestly, I think the prices, I think the amount of money, all of my sons, all of my son's friends that came out of college have this, um, this massive debt hanging over their head and it's just awful. And I just, I I just don't think that, I don't think if we, if we really value that education, we'd make it affordable and we have it. Even state schools here in the United States, it's not, it's, it's, it's affordable. It's more affordable than going out of state, but it like, no, we don't. I I think we as a society don't value that anymore, you know, in general, because of the price tag, the the six figure price tag that you have. Mm -hmm. And so, no, I think there are a lot of other ways that you can prove to me that you're gritty, that you're ambitious, that you're smart, that I don't think college is it anymore. Mm-hmm. No, it, it was interesting to hear because I, I agree. I actually posted for a company and I got to that part and I, I just, I don't believe in it anymore. I mean, I have a I degree. Don't. I did go to university. I did too. But I'm like, I, I know what they're looking for. They're looking for like time management. Can you get these things done in a, in a compressed period of time? Can you, you know, because think about it, you're not 18, 19, you're moving out of house. Basically you can party if you want all day, ex- expensive party, and are you going to show up for school? But I just think for me, the bigger thing is, are you coachable? Like, do you have life? Have you traveled? Have you backpacked around Europe on your own? <laughs> Did you have to negotiate in a hostel? Like, could you... Even bartending, I think you have to strike up a conversation with a stranger, ask insightful questions, make it about them. Like that's, that's prospecting 101. So for me, I've removed the snobbery as well. And I just don't know if that's why I was asking, because I was like, are other companies, again, it maybe it depends on the role. You know, I was in medical sales and a lot of these are very, um, you know, they need a kinesiologist and, and physio background. And, and I understand that to an extent. But I think like the human connection, like the ability to connect with someone and be empathetic and be able to trust them, that trumps, in my opinion, an MBA any day. Yeah. And I think nowadays with, uh, I affectionately call them the zillennials. I've just grouped the Zs and the millennials together. I don't think they probably (laughs) appreciate that, but I just call them the zillennials. They grew up on technology. Yeah. I didn't grow up on technology. I was still, I was talking to somebody the other day. I'm like, do you remember that like I, somebody was mentioning something yesterday about them being in trouble when they were a child with like long distance bills. Our parents were like, you have to stop calling your bestie in Pennsylvania. It's costing a fortune. And I was like, oh my gosh, remember it was like long distance used to cost money. These kids grew up on technology and the majority of the sales jobs, I mean, a lot of the sales jobs out there are software. And I'm like, why do you need to have a call? I mean, you probably know more about, and you're going to be able to figure out, you know, what people like. I mean, they mm-hmm. just grew up in a completely different way than we did with technology and advantages and all of these things. Um, and so like, why wouldn't I, if I, if, again, if I'm seeing some of those other traits that I'm looking for, as far as the top 10 percenters that I mentioned are concerned, if I've got some of those on the table and you decided not to go to college or you didn't finish or you just got your associates. Okay. I'm so thankful for you coming on and sharing all the insights. Cause you know, I guess the last interview I had <laughs> was 2007. I don't even like, I was at my last company for 10 years. I've been on my own for five years. So 15 years ago, one quick story. I remember going through a headhunter for my last role Mm. and it was taking so long. And this is where it's like, trust the process. I'm like, this process sucks and it's broken. And I remember Googling the president's number of the company I was applying to. And I phoned him up and left a voicemail. And I said, look, there's four players. I've worked for one of them. This will be the second. And I just sold myself. Next day, I... I got a phone call. They flew me to Montreal and that was it. And I just thought like, that's selling. Like t- how many years ago when one door closes, yep. uh, you know, you got to find a window, you got to find a garage. And I think now when people are like, I don't have sales experience, but the interview process itself, you're showing them what you are going to be like when you're representing their brand. 
you know, how prepared are you? What kind of questions are you asking? What are you going to do to make it impossible? Are you using video? Are you sending a follow-up, a thank you message? All these things. Oh my gosh. What they're going to expect from you. Hardly ever get a thank you email anymore. Hardly ever. Yeah. 24 hours after, definitely no later than. Christy, where can people connect with you, follow you, get some more tips for perhaps interviewing, negotiating, anything um, along the lines of of your, your services? Where can they connect with you? Sure. Um, the first place I would love people to connect with me is on LinkedIn. So um, you should be able to find me there easily. And then Karen, I've got all kinds of resources and a b- robust blog post on my um, business website. So salesaccelerationgroup.com. And for your listeners specifically at salesaccelerationgroup.com front slash K2, I'm going to put interview questions for the leaders and interview questions for the candidates on there. So I'll give you some head starts on some of the best questions you should be asking if you're interviewing. And if you're the interviewee, I'll give you some of those too. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. So folks, if you are in any of those positions, interviewing or being an interviewer, please take advantage. And um, I want to thank you again for sharing your, your tips and techniques and tons of years of experience. Can't wait for your book to come out and I'll be sure to, to get it and support you. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.